45 years ago, 45 years ago, Paul Simon, and I like to call his partner the freeloader, uh, uh, Paul Simon uh, wrote this song encouraging and inviting a generation to be feeling groovy. And about 1900 years before that, there was a different Paul, Paul the Apostle, who said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So my question for you this morning, are those two the same thing? Are they just saying the same thing in different ways? Feeling groovy, just feel groovy. Be content whatever the circumstances. Are those two Pauls saying the same thing? We're going to come back to that in just a minute. If you are visiting with us or new, we are in a year-long series entitled The Whole Shebang, Part 2. Last year we went through the overall story. And uh, this year, what we're doing is we're doing the story again, but looking at different characters throughout the story and inviting God to come in and mold our character through that character. And um, what we're uh, doing today is actually entering into the fourth section of the whole shebang, and it's entitled The Revolution. The section previous to this is the story that we find in the Gospels, the story of Jesus as the Messiah. And so after Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, his few young, fearful followers had to decide what they were going to do with what Jesus put into them. And so what they did, what we find in the second half of our New Testament, which is the last kind of quarter of our Bible, what we find in that section is, uh, is this extraordinary revolution that these young men and women led and have transformed the entire world, uh, uh, what we see in our New Testament. So that's the revolution part that we're taking a look at. And the character that we're looking at this morning, who's part of that story, a hugely significant character in that story is a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. He is a prolific writer of our New Testament, has written about 25% of the New Testament. And the character trait that we're looking at today is uh, actually, we could have looked at many different character traits out of Paul. He wrote about a number of different things. But the one we're looking at today is contentment. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Wouldn't that be nice? I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul Simon wrote, slow down, you move too fast. Hello, lamppost. Are those two saying the same thing in two different ways? We're going to go after that. Settle down over here. Uh, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we are thankful that we get to be here in this place, that we get to enjoy each other. We get to enjoy you. And once again, we want to enter into your story. God, would you come and transform us, move us? We want to learn. We want to grow. God, would you just uh, move us in some way, enlighten us? Uh, would you tap into, would your Holy Spirit touch the places of need that we have brought into this holy place? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, I want to just uh, address uh, the fact that I think this is a character issue. I think the issue of contentment is a character issue, and I'm no more reminded of this than uh, my role as a parent. And I watch my kids say things like, Oh, Dad, I don't want to go to Dairy Queen. I want to go to Baskin-Robbins. Hmm, 
There's this contentment question for me as a dad going, okay, I don't want to take you anywhere. Or may I might be, Dad, I'm bored. I'm not sure if any of you parents have ever heard that sentence. But, uh, Dad, I'm bored. Well, you just got 20 new gifts for your birthday. Your brother wants to play with you. You've got six new books from the library. You have a pool in the backyard, kid. Yeah, but I'm bored. And we're a week into summer. Lord, help. Lord, help us. And so I know when I was a kid that I said those same things and that I struggled with that and contentment was an issue for me. But it's just kind of, it's just a new category for me as a, as a parent. And it just, it just is a glaringly character issue to struggle with meaningless things. And then I see myself from God's perspective and I see just how many times I wallow I become discontent about things that are meaningless. I don't want to go to my in-law's house. I want to watch the hockey game. Whatever the thing might be for me, whether we're children or we're adults, this drifting from contentment for meaningless reasons is a character issue. And I think that Paul is addressing this. One of the reasons that we often drift from contentment is when we compare ourselves to others, we can be in this place of contentment and then all of a sudden we become aware of somebody else and go, whoa, that just knocks us off our contentment horse. It might be that you thought you were doing well in terms of your salary, thinking you make pretty good money. And then you realize that you don't make as much money as Bob. And you're thinking, Bob? How could Bob possibly make more money than I do? He does a comb over and he drives a day woo. How could he possibly make more money than me? That just, that just doesn't fit. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, last week, if you were here, I, I uh, sw- swapped with Beth and I got to hang out with the students uh, last week and I totally enjoyed that. Some of the students are here hanging out in this area. Peace. Glad you're here. And uh, the reason that, that they're here, part of the reason is that we sometimes want to invite them in and we kind of do church together and hang out. And there are a number of other students who are on mission trip this week, this weekend. And so they're hanging out here and that's where Beth is. Uh, but I listened to Beth's meth's message and I thought she did a great job, t- job talking about obedience and saying that we obey when we trust the person that we are to obey. And I just thought that was a great point. And, and then she, she goes over and she goes to the piano and she makes a point of obedience connected with the piano. So I thought, well, she can go to the piano. Then I can go to the piano. And so I wanted to... Um, See, I can't read a note of piano. I can't, I can't, you put anything, it looks like Marsh can't either because none, here's no notes here. I don't know if you knew that, but, but you see, see, but I can play guitar a little bit and so I can put a chord... So I can put a chord onto the, uh, onto the piano. And so for those of you who don't know how to play piano, you might be thinking, what? I think. I think Alan can play the piano. But for those of you who do know how to play the piano, you're teachers or you have had 10 years of piano, and you're thinking, would you stop? Because it's really annoying to hear somebody just kind of play over some chords. And maybe you're thinking, um, uh, this is a beautiful instrument. Would you quit uh, tormenting it? Uh, would, Alan, would you get away from it? That's, that's, that's where Marsh does his thing. So get away from that. Now, my, my point here, my question here is, 
Where do we cross over from not being able to play piano to being able to play the piano? Where does that happen? Where exactly does that happen? Does it happen when you can play a particular song? And so, no, you can't play piano. Yeah, now, now you can play piano. At what point do we, does one become content with saying, I can play the piano? Where does that happen if you can't do a certain thing or you can do a certain thing? When do we get content with what we are doing or trying to do or participating in? Where do we cross over from I can't do it to I can do it? I'm not content with it. I am content with it. It has everything to do with comparison because there's always somebody better than you and there's always somebody who's worse than you. There'll always be somebody better. There's somebody better here in the room than me playing piano and there are some of you who are worse than me playing piano. And so contentment so often has everything to do with comparison. Whatever you were working on or trying to get good at or trying to be a part of your character, part of your personality, it, it, it's, just, it's just so connected with how you're compared with other people. And so, but where does your contentment land? Are you content with your ability in that area right now? Or is your contentment somewhere down the road, perhaps at a place that you'll never get? Where does your contentment land? Are you content with just growing, with just learning, with being at the place that you're at? Uh, there's another area of life that's just so blatantly obvious in terms of how contentment is, is uh, affected by our, our comparing with one another. It has to do with our finances. So often we get in trouble financially because we are discontent with what we have when we compare ourselves with others. So we end up buying things we don't need with money we don't have, and it all is brewed from our discontentment. We go over to somebody's house, and we felt great about our house until we went over and visited somebody else's house in this other neighborhood here in Aotuki. And we go, whoa, I can't. I'm not, I, 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 my TV is way too small. I mean, there's no way you can expect me to watch a hockey game on a TV that small. Or we say, we come back and we go, my countertop is way too not marble. There's something <laughs> wrong here. Or my, 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 my car is way too un-BMW uh, for me here in this situation. And it becomes a, a, a comparison issue. I think it is a character issue for us to be content with our circumstances and to not be caught up in the spinning vortex of comparison. So what I want to do now is go to where Paul says this. It's in a book entitled Philippians in the New Testament. Some of you are going to find it real quick. Last week we were, at, we were in 2 Corinthians. So in the New Testament we do the Gospels and then Acts and Romans and First and 2 Corinthians and then we do this group of four little books all written by Paul, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I remember them with General Electric Power Company. It just helps me. General Electric Power Company, and that's how I find Philippians. Uh, uh, Philippians. I didn't learn that in seminary. Uh, so anyway, that's just a little deal there. And here I'm reading in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm halfway through verse 11 finding where Paul says these words. Philippians chapter 4, halfway through verse 11, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Indeed, 
He does know what it means to be in need and to live in plenty. Many of you know this, but Paul was very much in need when he wrote this letter. He wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome. He was in prison in Rome because he believed, as we looked at in the previous section, that Jesus really is the Messiah. He believed that, and he would not stop proclaiming that. As a result, he was put in prison in Rome, and it was from there that he writes this letter. From prison, he says, I'm content. He understood what it meant to be in need, but he also understood what it meant to have plenty. Uh, Paul, prior to the experience on the road to Damascus where he meets up with Jesus, prior to that, he is a successful Jewish leader. He is well-respected, he is well-financed, and he has a, a job of taking care of those, those Christians, those followers of this Christ. And so he had plenty of power and plenty of opportunity, and then he met Jesus and things became very different for him. He absolutely knew what it meant to be in need and what it meant to have plenty. And my guess is that each and every person in this room understands what it means to be in need and what it means to have plenty. We know what it means to have plenty, to have more than what we need, to have an abundance. If you have to decide which TV to watch, you know what it means to have plenty. If you have to decide whether you're going to take your bike or take your car somewhere, you have plenty. Maybe there are times where you have to wrestle with your plenty. Maybe at times you receive too much affirmation and your head starts to put strain on the, the holes because it's getting big. Maybe there are times where you are getting too much credit People are pouring plenty of credit into you, and maybe you didn't do all of it, and you have to wrestle with how this is all going to look. There are times where we have plenty, and we have to make some decisions in terms of how to move forward with that. But I'm also confident that each person in this room has felt what it has meant to be in need. Maybe it was a literal, physical need for food or clothing. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe it was a physical need in terms of healing, and you or someone that you were very close to was, was um, wrestling with some kind of illness. Maybe it is more of a, um, of a spiritual need um, because you were being overcome by a temptation, and you were very much in need of freedom in an area, or you currently are in need of freedom. Maybe there was an experience, a negative experience with with God or with what you associated with God and you are in need of overcoming that situation. We all know what it means to be in need and to have plenty. I think we can identify with, with Paul and saying, I've, I've tasted both of these. And he says, I've learned how to be content whatever the circumstances. And he says, here's the secret. And he gives us a secret in verse 13. The next verse he says, and many of you are familiar with this, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Here's the secret. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is the secret. Do you remember when that book came out a few years back, and a very popular book, The Secret, The Secret? 
If you've seen the video, then you know what that's referring to. But, but the whispers and the secret. See, that wasn't the secret of how to be content. That was the secret of how someone made a whole lot of money is basically what that was. The, the secret of how to be content is carved into the word of God, written by Paul, right before us. It's the only time we see in the Bible that the word secret is used. I've learned the secret I can do Everything through him who gives me strength. Do you know that secret? Have you embraced that secret? What happens to you when life starts to fall apart, either in small ways or in large ways? When life breaks down, when the plans that you had crumble as a result of something, somebody's fault, nature, whatever. Maybe there was weather, and as a result, something that was very important to you fell apart. How do you respond to those situations? Maybe somebody didn't show up. Maybe you got sick at a very inopportune time. How do you respond? Do you respond in anger and frustration? Is contentment part of your journey in those times? What happens when life crumbles? Just last night, I went to watch game two of the Stanley Cup Finals. Go Canucks. Uh, I went to watch the game at a friend of mine from our hockey team who invited the whole uh, team out to his house. And he lives quite far away on the uh, corner of McDowell and Power. And so way out past north of 60, about a 45-minute drive from here. And it's a straight shot from the 202. He's going to do it real fast uh, last night. And I uh, had my two boys with me, and I timed it right so that we'd get there right at the beginning of the game. And some of you are more aware than I am that the 202 is a mess right now. And so uh, I get there, and I was not aware of this. And at the 101, I'm told the detour. And it became clear to me uh, later on, kind of in hindsight, that ADOT certainly had enough finances to inform us uh, to get off of 202. Plenty of finances for all the signage and the thing to say, get off, because we're working. Get off, get off, get off, get off. And so I got off, and I was obedient, as Beth inspired us to do last week, and, and, uh, and got off and got onto German. Is it German or German? Or Germain? Was it, it's not Tito or, okay. So, um, so I got on Germain. I've never heard it called Germain. I haven't been, lived here long enough. So I got on Germain and, uh, and, I, and I was going and it kept on saying detour straight ahead, detour straight ahead. And then it just got silent because ADOT ran out of funds. And so they didn't have signs anymore. And so I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm going five, six miles. They're, I know they're doing the, the 101, attaching onto the 202. They've got to be done now. So I make my left and try to get onto 202 and realize I can't do it yet. And I'm five or six miles out. So I turn around and go back. And I think, well, I'm going to trust ADOT. And I'm just going to keep on going. I'm going to wait till the sign tells me that I'm allowed to move over. And I am going through Germain. And, uh, and I'm stopped at all the lights. And the whole thing is so much slower than I could have been. I'm missing some of the game. The boys are starting to get a little rattled in the back, and I finally get to power and realize I'm about 11 miles on Germain. I realize i got to start doing this, so I realize I finally get on 202 and then discover that I could have gotten on the 202 way back then, but nobody told me that I could have gone back the other way. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Basically, what I'm saying is, in that moment, I was not content. 
There was not a, there's not a whole lot of content that was happening for me. And then what happens when you get in those moments? I was actually thinking last night about my message this morning and thinking, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything except get on the 202 for him who gives me strength. And so how do you respond in those situations? What resources do you access I was reminded of George Costanza and what he learned from his father, that in those moments, serenity now, serenity now, serenity now. That doesn't do much for me, but it seems to help George a little bit. What is the thing that you access in those moments? What is your go-to? I highly recommend Paul's words, the secret. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Just write it on a post-it note, put it in your car, put it on your steering wheel, put it on your mirror. Let those words be part of your story. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. There is a translation of this that says, I can do everything through God who energizes me. I love that too. Through God who who energizes me because there are times where I feel like my batteries need recharged. Like I am just... I just need to be plugged in, recharged. God, would you energize me today? I don't feel like I have what I need to get through what I need to do. God, would you energize me? God, energize me. Now, I still haven't addressed the question that I launched at the beginning and saying, is there a difference between Paul Simon saying, feeling groovy, and Paul the Apostle saying, Uh, be content. And I think there very much is a difference uh, between those two things. I think that, that, that Paul, and that's not a big theological position. Uh, I just, I just, I'm going to try to make a point with this, but, but I think there's a difference because, because Paul, the apostle saying, be content is not just, just feel groovy, just uh, just smoke a doobie, uh, cover over it, just self-medicate, whatever, so that you can be happy and kind of ignore the circumstances around you. Just kind of stay smiling throughout your circumstances. That's what, that's what Paul Simon is saying. Paul the Apostle is saying something different. Uh, feeling groovy is about just be, be, be happy, be happy, just be happy regardless of your circumstances. Be happy. And I think there is a powerful misunderstanding of our right to be happy in our culture. I think that, that our drive to be happy can, can be damaging in terms of our relationships. That when we say, uh, we talk about the pursuit of happiness, it can be a damaging pursuit. Because what sometimes happens is we say, I'm not happy at work anymore. So I quit. Well, what does that mean for your finances, for your family or whatever? I'm not happy. I'm not happy in school. I'm not happy in high school. I'm not happy in college. Regardless of how much people have sacrificed so that I can be in college, I'm just not happy. So I quit. Or I'm not happy in this dating relationship. I'm not happy. So I quit doing the hard work of working on the the spiritual health of the relationship, and so I'm just going to have sex. Or I'm... I'm not happy in this marriage, so I quit because I'm not happy because I have a right to be happy. And 
Evidence towards this, I think, shows up in the loving affection sometimes of people who have been recently divorced. And if there has been a recent divorce, it might be a loving parent or a loving uh, friend who kind of checks in and says, well, now that everything's kind of done, are you happy? And then a person might respond, well, it's been rough, but yeah, I'm happy. And then the loving person might say, well, that's all that matters. No, it isn't. It's not about being happy. It's about being content. Paul the Apostle says, I've learned to be content. I'm not sure how happy he was in prison. But he learned to be content. The word that Paul uses here, in Greek, the word literally means to be self-sufficient. I think that's fascinating. This, this, this verse here is about Paul talking about being self-sufficient. I think it's fascinating. He uses the word because he is connecting with his audience, with the Philippians. This philosophy of self-sufficiency was very important to them. They didn't want to have to need other people. They wanted to be self-sufficient. So Paul was connecting with that. That's still so important for us now. Self-sufficiency. I can do it on my own. Self-sufficiency. But Paul takes that value and he puts a spin on it so clearly in verse 13. Because he's really not about self-sufficiency. Paul takes it and he spins it and makes it about God's sufficiency. He says, I can do everything because God is sufficient. I can do everything. I'm self-sufficient because God has given me strength. God is sufficient. God is enough. And whatever my circumstances, I can be sufficient because I'm with God. I think there are times when uh, followers of Christ who are familiar with Philippians 4.13 kind of abuse that verse a little bit or perhaps misuse that verse. And I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything. And then they go up to play the softball and, and uh, getting up to bat, remembering that, uh, that uh, I've never hit a, uh, a run the whole season. Never. Never got on base. Never got on base. And so, so they're thinking, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And there's, there's three men on base, and we're down by three, and it's the bottom of the ninth inning. And I'm thinking, God help me. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And then the ball comes. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Well, God was not faithful. No, you're just not a good softball player. All right? I mean, we kind of dump these things and say, say well, is, is, this really, is this really what's going on here? I, sometimes I think there is an abuse of this. this. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's not a magic wand. It's not something that says, ding, now you can have, do, be, whatever you want. Ding, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. That's, that's not what this verse is saying. I think this verse, modeled by Paul, is saying God will give us strength whenever we join the revolution. God will give us strength whenever we choose to be a part of his revolution. When we step in and we say, I want to be a part about loving God and loving others. I want to be a part about loving God and loving others. 
talked a few weeks back about Jesus having an agenda. He clearly had a purpose in his life that when we live life on purpose, when we live life with purpose, I think God gives us strength to move forward in that purpose. And it's from there that we learn to be content. That's the secret. And I think Paul models this so consistently throughout his story. We see throughout the other books that he's written, and we can see clearly here in Philippians, he was all about purpose, and that's where his contentment comes from. Look back in chapter 1 here of Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 9, the very beginning of this book. Chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, This is my prayer, that that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He is content while he is in prison because he knows that he has a purpose of investing in those Philippians. That he's, this is what my prayer for you, is that this would be happening into you. And as this is happening with you, as I am reaching out to you, as I am thinking outside of myself, I am content in my circumstances. He says it again in chapter 2, verse 14. Do everything, he's saying to, these, to the Philippians, do everything without complaining or arguing, in other words, with content, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. This is not pride for Paul, saying, oh, it's all about me. No, he's just saying, I want to know that my life meant something. So for me to watch you succeed, I am so proud of you, Philippians. I am so proud of you that whatever I'm experiencing, whatever my circumstances are, that I have not done it in vain. This is where his contentment comes from. It comes from this place of of purposefulness. It's not about feeling groovy regardless of our circumstances. It's not about feeling groovy and ignoring our circumstances. La, 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 la. It's about in the midst of our circumstances, whatever they are, being content because we are a part of something purposeful. We're a part of something that is significant. And in the midst of that, when life starts to crumble, in the midst of all that, in the midst of difficult circumstances, we remain content because we know we're responding to God's invitation to be a part of something meaningful. Paul was content because he was part of the revolution, because he was a part of something outside of himself, part of something meaningful. And so as, as we close here this morning, what, what about you? Do you feel like you're part of a revolution? This revolution that was started 2,000 years ago. Do you feel that your journey is connected to pouring into other people, to investing in other lives? That will bring contentment for you regardless of your circumstances. I think each of us in this room wants to be content. If you want to be content and it's eluding you, here's a suggestion, just one suggestion. Check out children's ministry and see if there's an opportunity for you over the summer or perhaps over the rest of this year to be a part of that, volunteer and be a part of that, as scary as that might be to you. 
Because in a few months, maybe six months, it might even be a year, it might even take a whole year, you'll come to church and there will be 12 little ones who know your name and who come up and hug you and wrap their arms around your legs. And you will be able to know in the midst of your circumstances that you are making a difference in these little ones' lives that you are investing in their spiritual growth, that whatever happens with them, with their parents, broken families, a difficult future, difficult teenage years, whatever's going on in their future, you have had the opportunity to pour something good into them, to invest in their spiritual growth. And that is an honor to be a part of that. Or maybe it would be an, uh, an option for some of you to be a part of a student D group. And maybe you could be a part of of some of the young people's lives here in our church who perhaps are, are, are hurting, and you could be the one person that they would feel comfortable talking about the severity of what they're having to deal with in school and in their lives. You could be the one person that they feel safe with. Wow. Feeling groovy is not about ignoring our circumstances. Being content is about being energized by God for a purpose. It's about being energized by God for a purpose. And I think God energizes us every time we choose to love that which he loves most, people. Every time, I think he energizes us, gives us strength to do that. Being content is about being energized for a purpose. I want to close with a prayer, and I just... We're going to dismiss right after that. I just ask if you would stand as we pray together and just take the next minute and just surrender this to God. If you feel comfortable, just put your hands out in front of you and just let us just pray to the God who energizes and gives us strength. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and pray. God, we invite you into the depths of our souls here today. God, would you come and energize us as individuals, as couples, as struggling married couples, as families, as friends, as a community of believers, as a community, God. Would you energize us? God, would you give us strength this week to wake up in the morning and know that there is something bigger going on? There is there is a greater story happening around us. God, would you, would you energize us? God, for those who are in this room and in desperate need of relationship and perhaps new in town or just haven't connected with others, God, would you energize us to be able to walk across the room and start conversations with new people so that we can be connected, which our soul so desperately needs? God, would you energize us? Father, if there is a nudging for persons in this room to be a part of ministry here at the church, to lead a D group or get involved with children's ministry or student ministry, Father, I pray that you would energize us, move us in ways that are honoring to your son, Jesus. Come. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.